This is David Cancel, co-author of Conversational Marketing, How the World's Fastest-Growing Companies Use Chatbots to Generate Leads 24-7, 365, and How You Can Too. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas in order to succeed in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners where you can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, and if you opt for the page version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast, or just click the link at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome David Cancel to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the book he has co-authored with Dave Gerhardt, Conversational Marketing, How the World's Fastest Growing Companies Use Chatbots to Generate Leads 24-7- 365, and how you can too. David Cancel is the chairman and CEO of Drift, the world's leading conversational marketing and sales platform, which was named to the Forbes Cloud 100, LinkedIn Top 50 Startups, and Entrepreneurs Top Company Cultures. He is best known for creating hypergrowth companies, products and product teams at companies like Drift and HubSpot, Performable, Ghostery, and Compete. David is an entrepreneur in residence at Harvard Business School. He's a prolific angel investor and the host of the Seeking Wisdom podcast. He's been featured by media outlets like the New York Times, Forbes, Fortune, Wired, and Fast Company. And interesting fact, he goes by the unforgettable name of the man they call Uncle DC. David, congratulations (laughs) on conversational marketing and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Uh, thank you so much for having me, and apologies in advance for having a, having such a mouthful, being so old that there's so many things for you to list there. <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. So excited to uh, be able to interview you, and one reason is because when I interviewed Jay Akunzo recently about his phenomenal book, Break the Wheel, a former HubSpot colleague of yours, yes, that's where on page 57 I learned about the Uncle DC nickname so that is so funny yeah and i as i of course the way he wrote it i'm reading through this and i'm thinking wow who who is this guy and i I just wasn't up to speed on all the (laughs) david cancel lore and then it said 
David Cancel. And I said, David Cancel, I met him before. And I, I know, I, I don't expect you to remember this, but years ago, one day I was uh, wandering around the HubSpot offices and before uh, security escorted me out of the building, yeah. I met you. <laughs> and I, I should say those security guys are much stronger than they look. But as I was being escorted out of the building after this nice conversation with you, all I could think was, man, David Cancel, he seems like such a nice guy. Oh, uh, thank you. I do remember that. Oh, I you do? do remember that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah sorry about that days. disturbance. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was great to meet you. I wasn't really escorted out of HubSpot's office. So, David, I want to read one quick excerpt from the beginning of the book, and then uh, we're going to get into it because I love this book. It was the intersection of sales and marketing. And as, as I mentioned before we started recording, you guys have snuck in a great message to people about success in business, which is getting closer to your customers. And there's, there are legions of companies that are doing extremely well now. It's because they're getting close to their customers and getting deep insights into their customers and what they, what they really want. So in your hands right now, you hold the playbook for harnessing the power of real-time conversations for your business, conversational marketing. Those new to the world of marketing and sales will come away with a step-by-step understanding of how you can start capturing, qualifying, and connecting with leads on your website through having real-time conversations. More experienced readers will gain a deeper understanding of how people prefer to buy in today's real-time, on-demand world, while also discovering new strategies and tactics that have been missing from the traditional marketing and sales playbook. So, David, you say that the way we've been doing marketing and sales is broken, and it was created for a world that no longer exists. Wait, what? <laughs> Surprise. Right. Yeah. What yeah. in the world are you talking about, Mr. Cancel? Yeah, so I've, I've been uh, lucky to be in the marketing and sales uh, software world for, for my entire career. And, and I had a realization when I started Drift about four years ago now. And that was exactly what you said. I had this realization about like, wait, the way that we've been doing marketing and sales are perfectly suited for this world that no longer exists. And the world that I'm describing is there was a time not too long ago where companies had the control. And so what they were selling was scarce, hard to find. And so they could make customers wait on the other side. They could make them fill out lead forms and get nurturing emails and they could wait till their lead score was a perfect, uh, you know, number and they could follow up three, four weeks, sometimes three or four months down the line and re-engage those customers. But the world that we live in now is a world where all of us can buy on demand in real time from across the globe. And because of that, Customers have all the control now, and I think some businesses are waking up to figure that out. And because of that, we have to change the way that we market and sell to them to more match the way that we all live today. Mm -hmm. That's where you talk about how companies used to own the supply, and that's no longer enough. Yeah, so I think about my own career, and I think about, look, in, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, companies that I was a part of, maybe we'd have, you know, one, two, three, four competitors tops, but really one, two, three. Then even our time at, at HubSpot, we had, you know, a handful of competitors. And now anyone in any category has hundreds, if not thousands of competitors, and they are competing not locally, not in their own country, but they're competing across the world, right? And because of that, uh, the customer is gaining control. The customer has ultimate choice. 
and the cust- and you cannot hide behind uh, walls anymore. We used to be able to gate content because content was scarce. I remember the days that we were, you know, I was blogging back in 2006 and uh, no one knew what a blog was. No one knew what to write about. People were scared to write a blog post. People were scared to write to create a podcast not too long ago because they didn't know what to talk about. And now, of course, there's thousands and thousands and endless amount of content out there. And, the, and so now the buyer has more information than, than the people inside the company and they have more choice, which is the important part. That's why we have to change. It's not about chat bots or technology or new ways to do things. It fundamentally has to do with we live in a world now where the buyer has infinite choice. And so we now have to respond to them. And they're used to, just like all of us, I can buy anything in real time. I can order a car to show up in real time. I can do anything in real time. So the idea that uh, in B2B, when I'm buying for my business, that I'm going to wait weeks, if not months, for you to get back to me is a crazy idea. Yes, and yet I think there are still so many companies that don't realize that they most. no longer <laughs> most. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they don't own the supply, and yet when I'm talking to companies or giving a talk or whatever, I'll explain some of what you just did about how people, the way customers buy, has changed, and I'll see the heads nodding, and they'll say, "Yes, mm-hmm. that's how I buy." I, yeah, I'm I, I'm in control there, and then I'll say, "Do you think your own customers aren't buying that way?" <laughs> it's crazy because I, you know, one thing that I did early on starting the company is, and I still do it, I would, every time I got a chance to be around a salesperson, a sales leader, a marketer, I would always ask them the same questions. Do you fill out uh, many forms in order to get white papers, ebooks, and downloads? Do you answer cold calls when you get cold calls on your cell phone or on your home phone? Do you, uh, you know, do you basically, do you respond to any of the tactics uh, that you're using, and a hundred percent of the people that I talk to laugh. They well, you're laugh. leading the witness, counselor. Yeah, yeah. They they, they laugh in front of. Uh, they laugh at. And when I when I ask them these questions, and then I ask them, well, what do you do in order? What do you do to your customers? And they do exactly the things that they laugh at. A hundred percent of them. So you know, I say we've hit peak insanity when a hundred percent of the people who are doing an activity say they would not respond to the activity if it was used on them. Oh, yes. Well, for context, let's go back in time just a bit and explain the different waves of messaging. You said there were three sure. of them to help people better understand where we are now. Mm-hmm. And so so I look back at time and say, um, and this is the reason that messaging is so important now, is that messaging from a technology standpoint has not changed my entire career. So I've been using messaging for at least 25 years, right? Whether it's uh, something that looks like Slack or Microsoft Teams, you know, back in the day we called it IRC and there was a million of us geeks using that, you know, 25 years ago, uh, if not longer. You know, uh, whether it was messaging like chat, we were using chat in uh, AOL, Instant Messenger, ICQ, you can remember, we're using it right now to record this, Skype, And so we've been using this messaging stuff, but the thing that was different back then was that this was before the global adoption of the smartphone, which really has driven this behavior. Because of that, in the early days, in the first wave, you know, there was, you know, a million or a couple million of us in the world using messaging, right? So it was for for geeks like myself. Mm -hmm. Then in the second wave, we had the advent of something like that we're using like now, Skype. But Skype, it took uh, five to seven years for it to get to 150 million users around the world. 
right? And that was the biggest by far. Now, because of the smartphone in the last five, five to 10 years, like we've seen uh, billions of people using messaging around the world, but not only using messaging, but defaulting to messaging being their preferred way to communicate, whether it's texting, whether it's DMing on, let's say, Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or what have you, it's their preferred method. What does that tell us? That tells us that now it has become normal. And when a pattern becomes normal like that and preferred, uh, it's time for businesses to recognize that and to adopt that new technology, that new channel in the way that they market and sell. Mm-hmm. So before we get into a discussion of the chatbots and some of the specifics mm-hmm. of that, let's set the stage in terms of the problems that I'll probably almost every listener yeah. is having. And explain what you mean when you say that your website is very likely leaking revenue. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I, we think about the analogy we, I started to use early on to explain this to people was think about your website like a store, a physical store that you go into. Mm-hmm. Now, if you went into a physical store to buy anything and when you walked in the store, there was no one in the store. And the only way that you could buy something or indicate that you were interested was to fill out a clipboard. Remember those little clipboards or the books that they would leave at the front of the store to fill out one of those with your name and your email address to leave the store. And then to hope that one day someone from that store will call you back up and say, hey, Doug, uh, I see that you were in the store. Uh, You're qualified now. Would you come back to the store? I'd like to sell you something. We'd all laugh at that that idea. But that is what uh, most, uh, the vast majority of websites are doing today in uh, when they try to sell to a business. They make you, their version of filling out the book is a lead form. Their version of making you wait is nurturing and scoring. And so they're making you wait and then pulling you back in. Instead, what about if those people who walked into the store, you could have someone there 24-7 who could answer their questions and respond to what they wanted and make them feel like a welcome guest. Yes, and you talk about the disturbingly small percentage of tech buyers that fill out forms now. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, I think only about 10% of B2B companies based on Mm -hmm. one study, uh, only 10% respond to the leads uh, fast enough if they respond. So David, why then are so many of us sticking to the forms (laughs) and follow-ups approach? Mm -hmm. Because they haven't listened to this interview and (laughs) and read your book. No, I think, you know, we are because one, we have habits. Um, it's two, these things have worked for in the past. So they bias us right there and they worked really well. And, um, and what we don't notice while we're still using these techniques is how they're, they're becoming less and less effective over time because they're a set of tools that we understand. We know how they work. We've now mastered them. And so we rely and we're comfortable on these things, but there are people uh, who have started to to realize that the efficacy is going down, that they're not working the way that they used to. And those have been the early adopters who have, have moved to conversational marketing a few years ago and, and have added that to their arsenal. But people are are waking up and starting to see this because this is the way they buy normally. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not about a new technology. It's like they, they are living it and they are doing it every single day in their own lives. And now they have to understand that the buyers, when a business buys from your business, that's still a person on the other side. There's no fictitious thing called a business. That's not an entity, right? It's a person just like you. Right. And uh, if it ever seems like things are just moving too slow for you, 
David, uh, you seem yeah. like a very patient person, but just remember, <laughs> it took thousands of years for someone to stop doing bloodletting. Yes. So for a long, you know, a long, long time, people thought, no, this is this is the way it's always been done. This is this is <laughs> this is working, yep. and then somebody finally realized maybe maybe there's a better way here, and and we shouldn't keep doing that. Yeah, the bloodletting. I think, you know, the other thing to keep in mind, and this is the thing I talk about just in general and marketing has nothing to do with conversational marketing, is that the the marketers who win, um, who are very successful, are the ones that move into new channels the fastest, mm -hmm. right? And they are the early adopters. And why does that happen? It's very simple because uh, demand gen and marketing and advertising is all around arbitrage opportunities, uh, meaning that there's a the, there's a big upside in what you're doing. And the channels that have the most arbitrage in them are always the channels that are hard to measure and hard to scale in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so that keeps most marketers away because they want a perfectly measurable, perfectly scalable thing. But when something is perfectly measurable, perfectly scalable, most of the opportunity is gone. So if you think about uh, Google AdWords, you think about SEO, you think about Facebook ads, all of those things, peop the most successful people were the people who moved into those channels in the beginning when other people dismissed them because they were hard to measure, hard to scale. And over time, there's still great opportunities in those channels, but it, the, the arbitrage opportunity has shrunk, mm. right? Such great advice. Follow the arbitrage. And I think there was a, a quote I once saw from Seth Godin about if you're waiting for the perfect case study, <laughs> you'll be too late. Too late. Way too late. Right. So take us back to the story of the day that you, I think you called uh, Dave Gerhardt instead of slacking him, and you said, I need to talk to you, and you had this, uh, this is after you all, you started Drift, and things were chugging along, and you said, I want to get rid of all the forms. Yes. What, um, did he want to have you committed? He, I think he fainted. Uh, and so I had the realization early in starting the company and Dave Gerhardt had joined us uh, as the only marketer on the team. And I was thinking about how do I buy in my life and how do I want to be treated? And if, you know, the, the point of all this is to get companies closer to their customer, what would I do if I were to start all over? And I thought, you know, that the lead form, the gating didn't make any sense anymore because inside, you know, in, if you think about more, most businesses, uh, you have a marketing team who is trying to get leads, attention, uh, customers. And then you have a sales team inside the company. And if uh, most sales teams, actually 100% of them that I've ever met, will tell you that they don't have enough leads or have never been given a lead by, by, of any quality by their marketing team, right? That's a universal truth. The leads are weak. Yes, you're weak. <laughs> All right. Yeah. David's not talking to me. He's quoting no, no, no. Uh, from uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, but you're free That's to call right. me weak. That's fine. We'll get to that later. <laughs> and uh, so that, that has been true forever. And, uh, and so I realized, look, if you have people inside the building and a, and a sale has never happened until a conversation has started, why not remove the barriers, remove the hurdles that we're putting up in marketing and connect the people who are ready to buy now with the people inside your company who can help them do that. And so I called them and I said, uh, I have an idea. We need to do something. Uh, we need to remove all the lead forms that we have on our website at that point. And, uh, and he genuinely was speechless. He did not talk for a couple of minutes. It was silence on the other end. And that doesn't and normally he, happen. 
no, 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 it never happens. And so he finally uh, spoke up and said, what are you talking about? How are we going to get leads if we have no lead forms? Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know, but we need to take them down right now. And we need to start to have conversations with the people who want to have conversations with us. And that started this kind of no forms little movement that we started uh, within the company. And, uh, and that has led us to where we are today. And that's why it, back to Jay's book, why it was uh, one of the cornerstone stories and one of the first chapters about questioning best practices. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it was a best practice that, you know, was uh, singed in my head of like, obviously we need lead forms and uh, obviously we need to score them. And obviously we need to put more hurdles, not less hurdles. And I inverted and said, if the point of business is to, is to create a customer, then let's take down the walls. Right. And you talk about how removing forms is the equivalent of removing a roadblock. But in the book, you don't say go cold turkey, whole hog yeah. like Dave Cancel. Yes. Keep your forms. I mean, don't, <laughs> again, don't follow best practices. Don't do exactly what David Cancel and Drift did. But yes. you talk about, okay, keep your forms. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, go into this slowly. Explain the concept of the second net. I think that will make people feel a lot less frightened. Yes. <laughs> so the idea is, um, again, if we think about our website, we have uh, one net today to fish with. And that net in most websites is a set of forms, right? And so the only way that you can get someone who's interested in your business, whether they found it through advertising, Google, whether someone on your sales team has reached out to them um, and made them aware of your business, at the end of the day, they're always going to come back to the website to research what this company is about and what are the products and services that you offer. And the only way that you can take that intention and that intent and convert into a customer is by gating and putting a lead form. So if the customer prospect happens not to fill out that lead form, they've vanished, right? They're part of the 98% who have never converted on your website. You have no idea. And so you only have one net. And so we say... The baby step way to approach conversational marketing is to just add a second net. Don't remove your first net if, if it makes you too nervous, but just add a second net and add this fast lane ability. We call it this fast lane. So if, you, if you're on the highway driving and you have your standard tolls where you have to stop, you have to wait online, you have to take out exact cash or coins, in some states, they have a fast lane option, which if you have a transponder, you don't have to stop. You just keep driving. So we say add the same thing, add a fast lane channel to your website by adding a conversational marketing product. And for the people who elect to take that path, you can connect them directly with the salespeople within your organization. Okay. So I want to ask you a question that a lot of people are probably embarrassed to ask. Okay. What's a chatbot? <laughs> uh, so a chatbot in this context, a chatbot is an automated way for you to handle inquiries, questions, comments that may be coming in from a customer so uh, or a prospect. So someone is having a conversation with you and it can be there are voice chatbots, there are text chatbots, but in this case we're talking about a text one. So text one is you ask a question, the bot uses AI and intelligence and uh, references even the documents that you may have created somewhere else to try to answer that question uh, in an automated fashion for your business. And you don't want them to think that it's a human necessarily, right? 
Yeah, so that's our approach. So one thing that... Well, it's honest. You're not going to fool. These customers have the control and I don't really think you can fool them. Yeah, and so when we started, uh, you know, we started to think about, okay, how do you use, how do you use chat in, uh, to make your website available 24-7 because the company goes home and works nine to five and people have weekends. And so like, how is this going to work? And so we thought of the idea of like, what about if we introduce a bot, a chat bot uh, to handle this? And immediately I thought like, one, I don't know if it'll work. Two, I actually don't like bots myself because most of my experience with bots were bots who pretended to be human, who had names like Amy or Lisa or whatever, and, uh, and tried to fool you into thinking that they were a real human. And the moment that you figured out that this was a bot, you were disappointed and maybe even angry, right? Mm -hmm. And so we said, let's be honest. Let's just say this is a bot and let's always call it a bot and let's never call it uh, by some human name. And by doing so, maybe we'll lower the expectation of the, of the customer, uh, we'll be honest with them, and they'll know what they're dealing with, and they'll want to use it. And so we did that, and we found that by doing so, people were willing to use it. They knew it was a bot. And the reason that they were, they were interested in using it was it had nothing to do with being a bot or not a bot. It had to do with, by using this path, they were able to answer their questions in real time on their schedule when they wanted an answer and not have to wait for days, weeks, and or months for the business to get back to them. Right. And it's also a way to triage so they can get their information quickly. And I don't, if I'm able to get it from a chat bot and get the information I need, <laughs> that's what I want. And I want it quickly. They Some of them work really, really well. Mm-hmm. But um, what this does is it helps to determine who they should be speaking to if they need to get a human involved. In yes. fact, I've even seen some where they say, uh, oh, sounds like uh, you know you, you have this issue. Um, can I get a representative for you? Or can I, can I get a human for you? Which yes. is kind of a, a, a funny way to do it. So talk about some of the questions that you ask, uh, that you all ask when somebody gets to your site. What I'm referring to specifically is this concept of what, who, and how. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fascinating how following that framework, the visitor is able to get the information they need quickly and or get to the right department they need to speak to quickly. Yeah. And so we, you know, when we launched this and we were doing it for our, our, our own website, obviously, we were the first person to do it, um, to use it. We started to think about, okay, what are the questions that we need to ask someone? Like, what would be the right interaction? And for me, I went back to, Let's just, within a company, if you have a sales team, you have a set of what you would call qualifying questions, what you want to learn from the person on the other end in order for you to be able to serve them the best way. And so we said, instead of inventing an entirely new set of questions, why not just ask them the questions that we would ask them if we were having a real conversation on the phone with them or in person? What would we ask them? You know, questions like who questions, like who are you? you know, so that you have context uh, in order to serve them. You know, what are the thing? What are the, the things that you would like to learn about? Obviously, again, to try to serve them. And so we ask very simple questions, just like in a conversational way. One thing that's hard for people is, um, is if you've come from doing things uh, the existing way, the traditional way, it's almost like when we started to... Um, 
move online as marketers. And all of a sudden, there were people, young, young people coming out of college who were di- digital natives. They had grown up digitally. And for some of us who had not grown up digitally, we had to make a transformation of like, how did we, how could we blog? How could we communicate this way? Same thing we're seeing with conversational marketing. Uh, People of a certain age are conversational native because they do this all day long. And so they're they're natural in asking and, and able to have conversations online and ask questions in a friendly way. And, uh, and we're teaching people how to have conversations. So when you all went to your no forms approach, did you get fewer leads? Quite the opposite. Uh, we got way more leads. So we expanded this, the size of our top of the funnel and we increased the velocity uh, from someone who came from as in someone that was a visitor to being an opportunity, a sales opportunity. We accelerated that and we widened the top of the funnel. It was amazing to us. We expected it to obviously accelerate the process because these were hand raisers and we were we were shortening the sales cycle, but we didn't realize that the conversion was going to be so much better, right? Because we were letting the visitor, the customer, choose their, basically choose their own adventure, like choose like what they wanted, what they wanted uh, versus us trying to guess what should be the perfect lead form or the perfect offer in order to bait them in order for them to give us information. Right. And when you, as I recall from Jay's book, sorry to keep going back to that, but they're two excellent books. No, it's books. a great book. And he, he talked about how you all then you just gave the information away, but you said, hey, you know, if you'd like to get emails from us, we, we publish helpful content. If we have something good, we'll send it to you. That, that, it was that way instead of saying, okay, we got their email address. Now we can start spamming them. Yes, exactly. Right. It was more about what is the buying process? If we're here to help people buy, what is the buying process that we would want? And we kept going back to, um, the physical world, right? That's what we're trying to replicate, right? We're trying to replicate what's the best buying experience, not what's the best digital buying experience, not what's the best offline. It's just like, what is the best buying experience? Um, what does that look like? What does it feel like? How would it feel if I walked into a store? How would people greet me? How would they treat me? And so we're trying to take that the best in the world and figure out how do we do that on your website. Right. So I think there's still some uh, skeptical people listening, and that's fine. For sure. But let me just clear up one thing. Everything you describe in the book, does it require them to buy your company's product? Uh, not at all. There's uh, Conversational marketing is a category of products, and there are uh, tens, if not hundreds at this point, of products that you can use. Right. So I just wanted to make that clear to all the listeners that you you don't just have to buy their product. Although if you're thinking about it, you really ought to go to their website just to check out all that, the content. Oh, you're doing it to me now. All right. Uh, (laughs) So now uh, again, people are thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, but we won't get as many leads when actually you guys got more leads. And as I recall, you actually got more newsletter subscribers after you got rid of of your uh, forms. Talk a bit more about how content is more powerful without forms. Yeah. So, you know, once we got rid of the forms, it enabled us to to stop thinking about content, content in the terms of offers and in terms of just giving away the 10% in order to get 
the lead and then we'd give them the 90% of the content and it let us put our best content out there for people to find, right? And so, uh, and in the old world, what you would do was that you would put out a teaser. You didn't want to put out your best content because you wanted to put that content behind a wall, behind a, behind a lead form, behind a collection mechanism. And, um, and that again worked in that world. But today you're competing with so much content, high quality content out there that you better put out your best content out there and uh, let Google, let um, people find that and and let them build a relationship with you based on your best content and you're putting your best foot forward than putting um, you know your least effective content hoping that they'll they'll convert in order to get some good content. Yes, and this also brings to mind the concept of uh, pillar pages, which yes. our, our friends at HubSpot talk about quite a bit. And the different paradigm there is instead of putting all your great stuff behind, I mean, you would have a blog post, yes. where you'd share that information. But well, there's also SEO benefits, which we won't go into. But exactly, it's it's now like you want to replicate. In the case of the pillar pages that HubSpot talks about, you go to a bookstore and you can look at that book as much as you want. You get a really good sense of, okay, mm-hmm. this this looks really good. This is what I want. I feel like I I know and like this, and this is what I, I want. There's no downside to, to buying it. Then they go to the register, they buy it, and they leave. So it's yes. a similar sort of thing where you're sharing all this content, and then they can th- there's a lot more uh, trust. Yeah, because we're stuck in the old world. Imagine going into that bookstore and saying, no, you can only read the table of contents. Put the book down. You can't touch it. You can't see it. You can't hold it. And uh, once you buy it, you can read the rest of it, right? We would laugh at that and say, or once you give me your contact info, I'll let you read the first chapter. It's like, (laughs) no, that wouldn't work in the real world. Again, we're trying to replicate what is the best experience that we have uh, in life and how do we we bring that online? Mm. So DC... Can I call you DC briefly here? Absolutely. Let's, My wife calls me DC. So oh, she yes. does. Okay. Yeah. Um, DC, let's talk about MQLs, SQLs, and CQLs. Yes. Okay? Yes. Let's do it. So as background, explain uh, MQLs, SQLs, all the salespeople, a lot of yep. the marketers are going to know what they are, but explain what that is and then introduce the concept of the CQL. Okay. So if you think about a marketing funnel, and you think about someone coming from the top of the funnel, so we call that tofu, to the middle of the funnel, uh, we call that mofu, and then the bottom of the funnel, which is obviously bofu. And so if you think about someone coming through those different stages, we in the industry develop these terms of MQL and SQL. We also have SLAs and we have lots of other acronyms. But an MQL is a marketing qualified lead. And what that is, is not only a lead that's, that has been captured by marketing, but one that has been qualified in some way. Traditionally, that has to do with um, combination of their information. Are they a certain company? Are they an ideal customer? Uh, do they have a certain fit? And behavior, which is, do they read certain articles? Have they come back a certain number of times? Have they expressed interest? Like, so there's some qualification mechanisms that are different for each company, but that are usually based on demographics and psychographics and then also behavior. Mm -hmm. And then that marketing qualified lead is a contract that the marketers have with the sales team that says, every time we give you a lead, we're going to have them qualified using these heuristics. Then the sales team doesn't usually trust 
the marketing team. So they requalify the lead uh, once they get it from marketing. So they take that MQL that's been handed to them and they then do their own qualification, which is usually a set of qualifying questions that they would ask, usually a, B, uh, a business development rep, a sales development rep, or even an AE, an account executive would do that. On the phone, over email, they would ask them a, another set of qualifying, qualifying questions. Once that sales rep or BDR, SDR feels that this is really a good lead now, they would call it an SQL, a sales qualified lead. And that would become an opportunity uh, that they would then try to pursue. So those are MQLs, SQLs. We introduced, because we go around the typical funnel, because we don't go through the traditional uh, lead process, we skip the MQL and we skip the sales qualification question. We try to do both of those things in real time. We created something called the CQL, which is a conversation qualified lead, which the way to think about it is this would be the way that you would uh, qualify a potential customer in the real world. You would have a conversation with them. You would ask them a certain number of questions. They would ask you some questions. And during that conversation, you would you would figure out, is this a good customer for our business? Then do can we serve them in the right way? That is what we call a conversation qualified lead. And we do that uh, actually the same way by having a conversation, but in this case, having the conversation online. And so that has to do also with how conversational marketing can also help to minimize the traditional family feud between mm -hmm. sales yes. and marketing? Absolutely. And so what we find across our entire customer base is that conversation qualified leads are the highest quality leads. Why? It has nothing to do with chatbots and chat and all this kind of stuff. It has to, it's obvious. It's because these are people who have come and said, I want to take the fast lane, Doug. I don't want to fill out the form. I want to talk to someone right now because I'm interested in buying. Obviously, those would be the most qualified people. Then you have your PQLs, uh, which are product qualified leads. So imagine that you sell a product like Dropbox or a product that's a SaaS-based product or an information course out there. If someone creates a login, a free login to your product or a trial login to your product, they're probably more qualified than someone who downloaded an ebook who's probably would be an MQL. So the PQLs are the second, the second best. And then the, the, the last um, on, the, on the rank is the marketing qualified leads because those are usually someone who might subscribe to a newsletter, maybe filled out to download some content. Those are probably your, the people who have the least intent who need the most amount of nurturing. So you want your hand raisers first. You want the people who are willing uh, to actually test drive your product second. And then you want your people who are just browsing around uh, as your last. Right. So back to those doubters, if they're still listening to this episode. Um, <laughs> Maybe they're unplugged. Right, right. It reminds me of that meme of the little boy who is looking very skeptically at the up at the woman who yes. always says, so you're telling me. One of the objections you get from companies that are first learning about this is that they're concerned that a bunch of marketers and salespeople are going to end up wasting their time talking to a bunch of random people who are never going to buy. How do you respond? Um, that's, that's a funny thing. So like, uh, again, that they're never going to buy one. Um, you can have, that's why you have a chat bot who can do ask the same qualifying questions that a human would. Mm -hmm. And so you don't actually have to, your sales team does not have to talk to anybody unless they have become unless they have been qualified 
before reaching that salesperson. That was a very, very, very important part of what we were doing because chat had existed for a long time on websites, but the innovation that we added on top of chat was to add the bot who could do real sales qualification questions as well as look at demographics and psychographics and other behaviors uh, in real time and make sure that something was fully qualified before a human, i.e. a sales rep, ever talked to it. So, you know, what we experienced ourselves when we launched Drift, and we didn't have any salespeople at the time, we had one person on the team, who, another uh, former HubSpot uh, colleague, who was helping us out on the sales side, and we, we connected his calendar to the bot, and the bot would ask qualifying questions, and then if a person was qualified, they would schedule a demo on this person's calendar. And then when we launched it, uh, the person came in the next day and said, holy smokes. Uh, and, and just like uh, everyone in the in the company, we were tiny at that point, we were probably like 10 people, turned and was like, what happened? And the, he's like, this uh, bot is game changing. This is incredible. And we were like, what happened? And he's like, I woke up this morning and my entire calendar for this week is scheduled with qualified demo <laughs> opportunities. And of course, we thought something was broken. We thought maybe, oh, <laughs> holy smokes, maybe maybe the bot uh, just um, put the same one. Maybe there's only one or two and it, it's just been like repeating on the calendar. <laughs> Something's broken. So we're running trying to figure this out and we're looking and we're like, holy, these are all different people. These are all qualified. These are all real. And that that person did not have to waste time chatting with anybody. That, that person uh, woke up and all these things were in his calendar scheduled. Uh, to get back to the customer when the customer wanted him to get back to them. And, you know, David, it seems to me like you can actually capture more information with a chatbot, if done correctly, than from a form. 100%, because in a form, uh, one, you you have fatigue on the end of the, the buyer, so you can't ask them 35 questions on a form, right? You want to keep sh- uh, forms short. And within a conversation, think about the richness in, in a conversation, like the conversation we're having now, even a five-minute conversation is going to give you, a two-minute conversation is going to give you way more than you're going to collect in your five fields on a form that have to be perfectly formatted. And we're not uh, mind readers. We don't know what's on the mind of the prospect. We hope that the five questions that we're asking on the form are the right questions to answer. And obviously, this, our sales teams are skeptical. That's why they ask their own questions and requalify someone afterwards. So we say, why not just cut to the chase? Let's ask the questions that the sales reps are going to ask anyway, and, uh, and let's ask those up front. Right. And in the book, you talk about how you'll ask people, you know, what brought you here? And some people will say, oh, I listened to uh, David and Dave on the, on the podcast. And then it responds back and says, uh, oh, great. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a five-star review, so forth and so on. Yes. Well, David, <clears throat> you guys are on top of things, so I'm sure you've already thought about this. But now what happens after somebody listens to this episode and they come to drift.com and they start chatting with you and they say, what brought you here? And somebody says, I heard David on the Marketing Book Podcast. Now, we've given it some thought, David, okay? So I just <laughs> want to pass this on to you. We thought maybe uh, your algorithm could then say, I'm sorry you had to learn about David that way. <laughs> that was unfortunate. That was unfortunate. Or uh, we're sorry you'll never get those 45 minutes of your life back 
But <laughs> anyway, it, it could go on and on. But uh, at any rate, I've just got to ask one other big uh, question here for you as we talk about uh, chatbots and conversational marketing. Does this mean email is dead? Uh, not at all. So I think email has its place for sure. We use email uh, at Drift ourselves. We have email into the product. And so uh, email is not dead, but it's about meeting the customer where the customer wants to be met, right? Whether that's in social like that um, that emerged many years ago, whether it's on your website in real time using a conversational marketing type product, or whether that's later in email. But I think the big thing that's important is that uh, customers are all about the now and they want their answers now. And so we got to give them an avenue so that they can get those answers now. On page 96 in the chapter on give your email marketing strategy a real-time makeover, the first sub-paragraph is email isn't dead. You're just doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. we we uh, One thing that we realized, uh, even ourselves in the early days, was that email, if we go back in time for us, for us uh, guys with gray hairs, email is a two-way communication channel, right? It was meant to have conversations on. But we turned, us in marketing, including myself, turned email into a one-way channel where we would just blast and we would send emails from no reply at uh, email addresses. We never wanted a reply to those emails because we thought it wasn't scalable. And what we say is, let's turn email back to where it came from, turn it into a two-way conversation. Uh, let's send out emails, but also have a way to reply back to those emails if someone happens to reply. And uh, it's funny because it's the same kind of reaction that you would have when you would say, take down the forums. We, Doug, we possibly couldn't do that. What are we going to do? Too many people are going to contact us. What? You know, you're in business. Like the thing that you want is people to contact you. And by the way, those salespeople, again, said that they never have anyone contact them. And you're saying that you're sent, spending all this time trying to get someone's attention. And when they, you get their attention and they want to reply back to you, you would say, well, that doesn't scale. I'm not going to, I can't possibly take that reply. And it's like, that is exactly what you want, right? You want someone to reply to you. You don't want to be on a corner just shouting and hoping uh, that no one ever talks to you. <laughs> <laughs> and that is why you argue that replies to email are the most important email metric of all. Talking to you listeners who are all thinking about click rates and open rates, say I, I came in honestly the, earlier this week and I was reading aloud from that section of the book <laughs> about the most important email metric is really if you're getting a reply. Exactly. Are you getting someone... Uh, interested? Yeah. Or are they willing to reply? Like that's the thing. It's not like open rates. Open rates don't matter. Click rates don't matter. It's like, will they actually reply? Will they start a conversation again? Because the 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 fundamental thing that we realize is that a, a company has never sold anything without a conversation starting, right? A salesperson mm. has never had a sale without a conversation. And mm. so our job is to start conversations, not to prevent them. Yes, set the megaphone down. So one other question, explain why you all went to pure text emails, none of this uh, beautiful HTML design stuff. Uh, we did that because we wanted to encourage people to reply and to people, for people to feel like this was a real email uh, because all of us, the, the beautiful emails worked really well, well 
in a world where that was scarce. Again, back when there was arbitrage. But now that every email looks that way, we become numb to them and we become blind to them. And so we immediately hit the delete button before even looking at them. And so we said, let's go back to treating email like it was. Let's make people feel like they can and should reply to this email. And the best way to do that is to send it in plain text like it's a real email. Mm, What a change in strategy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We go back, everything old is new again. Yes, yes. So uh, we haven't done justice to the book. Obviously, there's a whole section on uh, account-based marketing, how conversational marketing makes that even more powerful. And uh, I should add that I noticed on your website, you all did a guide along with Demandbase about um, ABM and uh, conversational marketing. We'll include a link to that in your episode show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. But also, you talk about how this approach is about a great way to make sure your customers are using your product, that your customers are successful, but also, as I mentioned at the top of the interview, that this is a way for you to get closer to your customer. And the way that companies are succeeding now is the ones that are getting closest to uh, the friction in their customers' lives. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, David, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Go start conversations. Right. Go talk to your customers, get close to your customers, because we are moving towards a world where the companies who are closest to their customer will win. And you see that happening every day. You see that happening. You see Airbnb taking over an industry um, by building a closeness to their customer that Marriott and many of the other hotel chains never had. They own that customer relationship, and that allows them to grow. We see that happening, obviously, with Uber and Lyft. We see that happening with Amazon. We see that happening in every single category, Netflix over Blockbuster. The ones that have been closest to the customer and own that relationship, and uh, those are the customers that those are the companies, I should say, that are winning. And I think the future belongs to those type of companies, and so we need to move our companies towards that future. Amen. So, David, what? Books have inspired your working career. Oh, wow. So many. Uh, so I'm... Uh, you hear that, everybody? He's a reader. <laughs> I'm a giant reader, obsessive reader. And so I have... Um, I have. Uh, that's how I started uh, our podcast was just because I read so many books. I'm usually reading five to six books at a time, and uh, which is a whole other topic. And, <laughs> and so I love and I give away books. And if anyone you know, reaches out to me and is interested in reading, I'm happy to send you some books that I love. But some of the ones that, there, there are three that have been fundamental to drift. You know, I'd say personally, one that I reread all the time is called Managing Oneself. It's a $5 book. You can read it in probably an hour tops, written by Peter Drucker. Uh, I would I would advocate for everyone to get that book and to, for them to reread it every five years. And then three books have really helped us at Drift. One of them is called Made in America. It was written by Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart. Fantastic book. That book was religiously read by Jeff Bezos when he was starting Amazon and is referenced in the second book that that we love, which is called The Everything Store, which is a st- story about Amazon. And then the third book is called Built to Last, which is the story of Home Depot. And all three books are about retail. Didn't realize it at the time, but it's all because they're about getting closer to the customer. 
Oh my goodness. And I have not read any of those. Oh my goodness. You just added to my list. I'm going to send them. I'm going to send all three to you. Oh, thank you. That's very, very kind. I really appreciate that. Um, Because I've been looking for books to read. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) Obviously, I love doing it. And it's even more exciting to be able to to interview the folks that that write them. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or have heard about or looking forward to reading? Yeah, I have a friend who wrote a great book called Peak Performance and uh, Brad Stolberg, and he has just released a new book called Passion Paradox. So it's about people who are deeply passionate like myself and yourself about specific uh, areas and how how they can find, I won't use the word balance, but how, how they could make that fit within their lives. And so Passion Paradox is a book that I'm looking forward to reading. Oh, terrific. That's great. So David, how best can listeners learn more about you and this book? So the book, you can find out about conversational marketing, everywhere that books are sold, obviously Amazon, obviously um, any bookstore out there. Right now, we happen to be in 147 of the uh, U.S. airports right now. So if you look for the bookstores there, you'll find conversational marketing. But you can also find it at www.drift.com slash book. And myself, I'm easy to find. I'm dcancel, D-C-A-N-C-E-L, on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and everything else. And for the listeners, if you see conversational marketing in the airport, please take a picture of it and tweet it out. Include include me. I'm marketing book. Uh, David is dcancel. Uh, make his day. Oh, yeah. That will make my week. I really appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll include links to uh, all the, the the books that we've talked about, this, your site, your LinkedIn profile, Twitter handle, and so forth on uh, your episode show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com so that the listeners can reach out to you and connect with you and hopefully thank you for being a guest. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Conversational Marketing, How the World's Fastest Growing Companies Use Chatbots to Generate Leads 24-7, 365, and how you can too. The authors are David Cancel and Dave Gerhardt. David, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Doug. I love that we've come full circle from that, that meeting back at HubSpot years ago. And that closes the book on episode 221 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan, visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast or just click on the link at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Peter Fader to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the new book he has co-authored with Sarah Toms, The Customer Centricity Playbook, Implement a Winning Strategy Driven by Customer Lifetime Value. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Sean Armstrong. I loved the book. Oh, thank you. Oh, and I read all these books and I bet which I love doing. This one was a joy to read. You guys really did a great job. Oh, thank you, Doug. 
yeah, there have been a handful of books on the podcast that were torture to read, but <laughs> they might have been for good interviews. So yeah. you guys are really uh, did a great job. 